Hey, it's Kristen. You are listening to Rational in Portland. Welcome to Rational in Portland. Thank you for joining us. I have Derek Clevenger from All Oregon Votes. And welcome, Derek. Thank you for for coming in. Off air, we were kind of talking about your background. You are such an impressive guy. (laughs) I can't believe I have not heard about you. So you were mayor of Almsville, which is near Salem, for how long? Uh, For four years, two terms. Okay, and tell us. So you have a story about what got you involved in all Oregon votes. And please tell us about this because it's fascinating. Well, you know, I kind of just like tripped and fell into an elected position. Um, Yeah. But when I was ending my second term. Well, let's start with that. How did you? (laughs) That's interesting. How did you trip and fall into mayor of Almsville? So uh, Almsville was. A lot of people joked around that it was the the city from Footloose. We were kind of stuck in about 1965. And uh, they implemented a public safety fee so that we could have 24-hour police coverage, which I was actually very much in support of. But I read through the ordinance, and the way the ordinance was structured, it would allow the city to shut off people's water if they couldn't pay it. And then from there, they could take out a lien on their property or their home. And so I went to... That sounds like something Multnomah County would do. Yeah. So I I just showed up at a city council meeting and said, hey, you know, do you guys realize that, you know, you you just set up an ordinance that's going to let you shut people's water off and and put a lien on their property? Like, that's that's a bit much over a $12 fee. And, you know, tattoos, backwards hat, I don't look like anybody's politician. I was told, it's really complicated, you wouldn't understand, by one of the city councilors. So that spun into us doing a recall of half the city council. And, and you led that recall, I, I take did. it? I was the chief petitioner on, on the recall. And I, I just met you. But mm-hmm. it's clear to me that these people underestimated you. Oh, absolutely. Um, our, our council, our city government for the longest time was really known for just kind of having their own clique. Pretty much everybody who was involved in the city government all went to the same church. And if you somehow found yourself into any of the committees or on the council and you weren't a member of that church, they were going to find a way to ensure that you would no longer hold that position. So what's your, I know you have a, you have an army background. Correct. You were active duty. Uh, yeah. So I initially joined the Oregon National Guard and then went active duty for a little while and then came back to the Oregon National Guard and retired in 2022. And do you have um, education post high school? Yeah, I have an, I have an MBA. You have an MBA. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where did you do your undergrad? Uh, undergrad and, and my grad school were both the same. I actually did it while I was in Afghanistan. They underestimated the wrong person. <laughs> you did all of this in Afghanistan. Correct. Your college degree and Correct. your MBA. How yeah. do you, so? What is the obviously the armed forces are people don't know this, but the armed forces are you know this. That's why I said obviously, but it may not be obvious to everybody listening. So the armed forces and correct me if I'm wrong, Derek are actually incredibly good about getting people an education if they're interested in it. Oh, absolutely. And especially with with the GI Bill, you know, one That's of the right. hot topics these days is student loan debt. And when you have the GI Bill, you're actually getting paid to be in school. So I would, I would say realistically throughout my time in the military, the number of individuals that I met who had been in for more than, let's say, eight years that didn't have some sort of college degree is rare. That's incredible. So the so for people listening who are who are interested in this kind of a program, what does your degree look like? Is it from an institution? Does it say army? Like how does it work? No, so what they do is they have an education office that you discuss with the counselors what you want to do and they make recommendations to schools that have programs that fit whatever you want to do or that will fit within your schedule or time frame or whatever you're so looking at. So they'll work with you and help you and make sure it's the right fit too. Mm-hmm. 
That's absolutely amazing. And so what uh, institution is are your degrees from? Excelsior College out in New York. That's great. And so there are certain institute, educational institutions that will work with the armed forces Correct. to make sure that everybody kind of gets the right program that they need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so impressed. And so why did why an MBA? You knew you, you were an entrepreneurial guy or... Honestly, I, I knew that I wanted to stay in school and, and just stay active, keep my mind going. So that just seemed like a good step. The college had an MBA that specifically had a concentration in healthcare administration and my background being medical. I, my entire career, I was a medic. I just felt that that was a good step. So it was it was all you also have a healthcare focus in regard to your MBA. Correct. That's absolutely amazing. I mean, obviously, these people on the Umsville City Council had no idea mm-hmm. who they were dealing with or I don't who think was they standing had any before clue. them. <laughs> and and that meeting uh, was probably the most highly attended meeting they had had because there were quite a few people in the community that were upset about this public safety fee because they they weren't informed until after the fee was put onto their their water and sewer bill. So everybody showed up saying, "Hey, what is what is this new twelve dollar fee? I've never so heard of you're it." telling me this thing passed. So the the way Almsville City Charter is set up, the city council is allowed to implement fees and taxes of that nature just by a vote amongst them. It doesn't have to go in front of the community in any way wow. at all. And so they chose to implement this fee and they based it off of a poll that they had done uh, utilizing the city newsletter where there was all about f- of a, maybe 50 responses total. And this is a community of 4,000 people. And so based off of 50 responses, they said, well, yes, this is what the community wants, so we're going to go ahead and do it. Didn't take any measures to overtly communicate with the community and tell them what was happening. So everybody wakes up one day, gets their water bill, and there's an additional fee, and they say, well, what the hell is this? And so that spun into the whole me going to a council meeting. We did the recall. Uh, We recalled half of the city council, and then the other half of the council and the mayor were up for election in November. So I had quite a few people in the community start pushing me to run for mayor. What year was this? This was 2018. And when people were asking me to run for mayor, again... You know, I'm, I'm a younger guy. You think mayor and usually you think someone in their 60s. Um, I mean, you look like you're you I could did. be 19 now. So I, I'm trying <laughs> to imagine you in 2018. I'm sure it was you were un, you were an unsuspecting. Absolutely. You were you were a dark horse candidate. Absolutely. Well, and, and so initially when people asked me to run, I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm nobody's politician. Find somebody else. And by now you have an MBA. Mm-hmm. You you have this uh, you've had this career in the National Guard. You've mm-hmm. got medic training. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was working for Department of State as a, as a defense contractor. So I, I contracted employee for Department of State uh, as a counterterrorism instructor, mostly in Northern Africa. Um, and what does, are you able, I mean, just generally to say, does that involve like training people oh, yeah. physically? Yeah. We, the, the whole program uh, that I was on specifically is really just to help with the security posture in those countries. Uh, so the training we do is everything from medical training to, you know, firearms training out on the range, room clearing, hostage rescue. Um, Are you still doing all this? No, I stopped doing that in last year, last September. It's been almost a year now I've been out of the defense contracting world. So I know you're, you have a job for all Oregon votes and I just, he told me all, Derek told me all Oregon votes when we were off air and it was very easy for me to find them on social media. You just search it and there it is. They have a Twitter, they have an Instagram. It was very easy for me to follow. And so I know that you're working with that. And then do you have, are you doing other work as well? Well, you know, partially living the retired life, which is nice, but I also teach part time. Uh, for Cascade Training Center in Oregon. So uh, I teach advanced cardiac life support, pediatric advanced life support, pre-hospital trauma life support, um, CPR, all sorts of things. This is so, this is like, your, your entire life is so important. You need to write a book. <laughs> this is so impressive. I, I just met you, but I know, I know that you need to write a book. Mm-hmm. And so tell us more. So once you become mayor of Almsville. You were telling me a story about signatures. Yeah. Why did you need signatures? So I chose to run for Oregon House District 17, one of our, our legislative seats. And with the, they had just done all of the redistricting. So it was a new district and it was going to be a vacant seat, but I ran as an unaffiliated candidate. 
a lot of people don't know that in Oregon, the way our system is set up, if you have a D or an R next to your name, you're a Republican or a Democrat, and you want to run for any elected role, all you have to do is pay a fee. That's it. And your name gets, gets on the ballot. If you are from one of the third parties or you are an unaffiliated candidate, you have extra hoops that you have to jump through. And as an unaffiliated candidate, you have to go out and collect signatures just to get your name on the ballot. So we collected uh, just a hair under 500 signatures, I believe, turned them all in. And Oregon's Secretary of State's office turned around and claimed that we didn't turn them in, that we had only turned in about 340. I had documentation showing that they were all turned in. And Secretary of State's office said, too bad, so sad. We never got them. So I was not allowed to be on the ballot. And at the time, the Secretary of State was Shamia Fagan, who, Correct. of course, has now stepped down due to some controversy revealed by Sophie Peel of Willamette Week about involvement with a marijuana business Correct. that may or may not have been ethical. It was enough of a controversy that she stepped down. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so then what happens? Uh, so after that, you know, I, I kind of decided I was going to take a step back, at least from any elected roles. Um, but throughout the campaign, uh, you know, I had I had forged a, a friendship with Betsy Johnson, who was an unaffiliated candidate for governor. And so she had approached me. Well, probably would have been about January. Was that this year? Of Yeah, well, it would have been January 2023. And said, hey, you know, there's there's this organization that is pushing for open primaries. And one of the aspects of opening the primaries that they're looking at is equity amongst candidates. So everybody follows the same rules to get their name on the ballot. And I think that, you know, between your story and your background and, and the guy running it, Michael Calcano, she's like, I think you guys need to connect. So Michael and I spoke and. Here I am. So tell us who Michael is and and why Betsy wanted you to meet him. So Michael had some involvement with her campaign. He's been floating around the Oregon's political world for a while. Very knowledgeable. Um, and he is the, the you know the chairman of our committee, our, our all Oregon votes. So he's 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 the big guy running the show. And you're doing social media. Correct. So my official position is the communications director for all Oregon votes. And so for people who now we know your personal story, and I think that's really powerful. I think Betsy's exactly right. You're the perfect person for this. For our listeners who may not understand why open primaries would be important for them as a voter, can you give us some understanding of, mm-hmm. of why they should be excited about what all Oregon votes is doing? I mean, I think the, the first thing that I usually try and tell people and, and that they don't realize is that Oregon is one of only nine states that has closed primaries. So in a closed primary system, you can only vote for candidates in the primary if you are registered with that party. In Oregon right now, we're over 40 percent of the total electorate is registered as an unaffiliated voter. So that means 40 percent of voters out there have no say in the primary at all. With a closed primary system, we, it tends to push candidates that are more fringe, that appeal just within their core group, and then everybody else is essentially forced to vote on those two. Occasionally, you get someone like Betsy, who she is unique in that she was an unaffiliated candidate that actually was a real contender throughout the general election. That generally doesn't happen. So opening the primaries, what it would do is allow those 40 percent of voters who are currently locked out to have some say in who is potentially going to represent them. When we look at closed primary systems, if we looked at this last election between Tina Kotek and uh, Christine Drazen, not even counting Betsy Johnson, of the total number of votes cast throughout the primary and and general election, roughly 84 percent of them were not for either Tina Kotek or Christine Drazen. So you have now Tina Kotek, who essentially was able to become governor with less than 20% of the total electorate actually seeing her as their first choice. Say more about that. How does that happen? How do 84% of votes get cast for somebody else? Through our primaries, the way it's set up. So the total number of votes cast if you look at the Democratic side, the two main were Tina Kotek and Tobias Reed. And if you look at the Republican side, there was 19 candidates. And Christine Drazen ended up carrying the primary with only about 22 percent. So you're counting the votes from these primaries. So mm-hmm. everybody listening, when you open up 
your ballot, depending on whether you're unaffiliated, Republican, Democrat. I'm a registered Democrat because I wanted to like vote for Tobias Reed. So I'm one of those people. Mm-hmm. I didn't vote for Tina Kotek. Mm-hmm. I voted for Tobias Reed. So of the, the total number cast, over 80%, Christine Drazen and Tina Kotek were not their first choice. That's amazing. The other thing that I think is amazing is, so as those of us who participated in that gubernatorial primary know, Betsy didn't show up mm-hmm. until later. And I think a lot of people were confused and they mm-hmm. were like, I thought this woman was running. I really like her. Do we have any data on whether open primaries increases voter turnout? It absolutely does. And there's a number of states that have, have done studies to show that. Generally with the open primaries, uh, we see about a 15% higher voter turnout overall. It sounds like it's not a lot, but if you want good candidates, obviously based on what Derek is saying in regard to how little it takes for these people to end up as governor, if you want good candidates, increasing the amount of voter turnout by 15% Mm -hmm. is a big deal. When you have races that are being settled by 1% or 2%, a 15% increase in voter turnout is huge. huge. The other thing is, tell us how, so you told us a little bit about how this works. I just want people to understand the reason Betsy wouldn't show up is because she was running as an independent. And because we have closed primaries, that means the only people who show up in the primary are from those two major parties, Democrat Mm -hmm. or Republican. Mm -hmm. And like you said, because she doesn't have a D or an R next to her name, she has to gather signatures. Correct. She had to gather, I believe it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 150,000 signatures just to be on the ballot. And those, of course, all have to be certified, Mm -hmm. which is its own process, Mm -hmm. as you know. Mm -hmm. And in that process, generally, if you're going to go out and gather signatures with the attempt to get on the ballot, you're going to have to try and get somewhere between 10 and 20 percent over the required number, knowing that the secretary of state's office is going to go out of their way to disqualify as many people as possible. And the signature gathering my understanding is can be incredibly expensive. Yeah. you So you can do it without having paid uh, circulators of that petition because it is, it is a petition. Um, but it's incredibly difficult. For Betsy, uh, I haven't looked at the specific numbers, but just, you know, my background and experience, I would say it was w- probably over a million dollars to ensure that she had enough signatures. So in a state that seems absolutely obsessed with things like equity, it seems a little crazy to me that we're keeping people out of politics who don't have the money to do signature gathering, but don't want to be part of a big party machine. Mm -hmm. Oregon's electoral system, realistically, it's in the dark ages. If you look back in the day in the the 1920s or the 1940s when there was candidates who were propped up by specific people and specific parties that were only allowed to be involved if they had enough money, that's where Oregon is at. And until we fix that, we are going to continue to have a state that the government is not actually representative of the people. This is so amazing. The other thing that I think people don't understand is and you probably know this from knowing Betsy, I think we're learning about it because because of Sophie Peel's Willamette Week LaMotta coverage about things like Emerge Oregon and these organizations that sort of handpick, in my opinion, who the, let's say, the Democratic candidates are going to be for any particular job you really, I mean, and Sharon Myron speaks out against these, and she spoke out against Emerge, even though she's an Emerge graduate. You really need to be playing the game with these people. And mm-hmm. if you're not their favorite person, you can forget about mm-hmm. it. And oh, I'm yeah. sure that's true. I, I know Democratic politics better. I'm sure that's true with the Republicans, too. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, it kind of is a, a, a perfect storm because we are also at least to my knowledge, the only state that has no limit on campaign contributions. I swear to God, all we talk about in the state is equity, and none of this sounds equitable. 
Or, you know, or you have to play that game. You have to be one of their favorites, who apparently Tina Kotek clearly was, because that's who they propped up. They refused to get behind Tobias, and instead Tina Tina was the favorite. She she had been handpicked, I think, in my opinion, by Kate Brown, and Kate Brown was talking very early on mm-hmm. about her support for Tina Kotek, and it was almost preordained. Mm-hmm. And, and then I think we're all looking around going, how did we end up with the least popular governor in the United States mm-hmm. once again? Mm-hmm. How does this happen? And so one way, Derek, you're saying to get more of a voice and to get more Oregonians participating in the system is to do this open Mm -hmm. primaries. That, I think, is the first step. Realistically, Oregon's electoral system needs to be reformed in a number of ways. But so th- what else would you do? You'd do limits. On- oh, I would do limits on campaign contributions. Yeah. Um, and also instituting either ranked choice voting or star or something along those lines. The plurality system that Derek, we use I have to stop you. Awful. I think I have PTSD because <laughs> I, I live in Portland mm-hmm. and we just... We just passed this wackadoo, in my opinion, mm-hmm. charter reform. Mm-hmm. So when I hear things like ranked choice voting, mm-hmm. the hair on the back of my neck stands up. Oh, it scares people because it's also it it seems very very complicated. Because here mm-hmm. in Portland, they made it complicated with mm-hmm. this single transferable vote garbage. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is there is a way to do open prior, or excuse me, there is a way to do ranked choice voting. Mm-hmm. That's not this insane charter reform garbage that we've got going on here. What, what people have to recognize is that ranked choice voting is kind of a broad term that is used for a couple of different systems. And so you have what is your system for votes being cast, right? Is it a closed system or is it an open system? And then you have different methods of tabulation that you can use as, as well. So you can have, say, a, a, a top four primary where the top four vote getters, they end up in the general. Okay? And then it goes into a ranked choice system. And so okay, well, rank- that I don't mind. What concerns me is when you've got 30 people mm-hmm. and you've got to rank 30 people. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we get into voter fatigue. And, I mean, you've seen our voter guide especially if you live in Portland with all these the ballot mm-hmm. measures and you know Multnomah County's got 50 taxes mm-hmm. coming down the pike the voter guide is so intimidating mm-hmm. i think most I, I think that's part of why we have such a lack of participation oh, yeah. where do you begin most people are just trying to like pay these mm-hmm. exorbitant taxes and go to work where do they begin with researching these people? And so what you're mm-hmm. saying is you can simplify this Absolutely. and you can do it in a way where you end up with like four that mm-hmm. you're ranking. Mm-hmm. You have four people that you're ranking. Much simpler. Where people tend to get confused is how are you scoring that ranking, right? So there's, right. there's a head-to-head system That's our issue where you here. put each candidate against each other and essentially whoever has the most wins is the one who wins the seat. There's also a method of tabulation where you say, essentially, you know, if they're ranked number one, they get four points. Ranked number two, they get three. Number three, they get two. And it, and just a point system like we would do with the normal little polls you might do online. Then whoever gets the most points wins the seat. There's also who had the broadest appeal. So where ranked choice voting can get confusing is, what's our method of tabulation? How are we determining who wins? And I, I believe that some of those methods are set up to still try and support the typical two-party structure that we have. But at this point, realistically, any change is better than what we're dealing with in Oregon. Yeah. See, you are so educated about this, and I had I, I didn't know all this. How did you get so darn educated about things like different versions of ranked choice voting? Diving in head first. <laughs> Where did you start? Like, if somebody's interested in researching some of these things, what, what, where did you start? I mean, I started on the, the good old magic Google box and just started started reading and taking in as much information as I could. And there's a number of studies out there that have come out from different states that are using ranked choice or different areas that are using ranked choice. Um, there is one big study that came out of, I believe, UC San Diego, where they looked at ranked choice voting and the total voter turnout only changed by about 5%. But if you look at the demographics of those voters, it increased that 18 to 34 year old demographic, which generally doesn't vote a lot. It increased that by, I believe it was close to 20%. So that change got more younger voters involved and increased the overall turnout. Who, so you, I mean, 
you're educated on this. You can help us. Who's voting the most? Is it is it baby the, the over? Okay, is it retired people like mm-hmm. over sixty five? Mm-hmm. The the largest demographic for voting is our our baby boomers. And is that true in the U.S. or Oregon specifically, or both? That's throughout the United States. Generally, the over sixty crowd is where you're going to get your largest turnout. Now, there's there's subgroups within there where you may get more turnout for one candidate or another. But by and large, the over 60 crowd is the crowd that shows up and votes the most. So rank choice can help increase the diversity of our voting pool. Mm -hmm. And then also, it sounds like if we can simplify it in the way that you suggested, we don't need to have voter fatigue with rank choice. There's a way to do it. Yeah, And you couple that with an open primary, which is going to in general, support candidates that are a bit more moderate. Right Right now, with a closed primary system, we're ending up with candidates that are on the fringes of even their own team, right? You're speaking my language right now. I mean, I look at the Oregon legislature, both parties. Mm -hmm. They're both guilty of this. I don't, I'm not seeing a lot of moderates. I mean, frankly, I think, you know, a lot of people would disagree with me. I think Drazen's relatively moderate. I think Betsy is very moderate. I don't think Drazen was ever going to win. Say more. So if we, if we look at the numbers, you know, a lot of people complained that, and they said that Betsy Johnson was a spoiler and she's the reason that Christine Drazen didn't win. Yeah, I disagree with that. If we actually sit down and look at the numbers, that's completely untrue. Betsy pulled more votes from... Tina Kotek than anybody else. Totally. And if we look at our third parties, right, she took almost the entirety of the third party and non-affiliated candidate or non-affiliated voter pool. She took almost all those votes. Even the libertarian candidate, she got more votes from registered libertarians than their own candidate did. <laughs> Christine Drazen That's never, amazing. never had a snowball's chance in hell of actually winning. Now, if we look at who was available in that primary, who who the Republican Party had available, I think someone like uh, Bob Tiernan, who came in second, he actually would have had a chance of, of beating Tina. Why? But because he wasn't quite as tied into the structure. And amongst those third party and those non-affiliated voters, Christine Drazen was instrumental in the walkouts. And no, I got it. Republicans view the walkouts very well. Most unaffiliated voters do not. Yeah, I think most Oregonians uh, are angry yeah. about the walkouts. I, I think you have to be relatively savvy to understand why they're doing that. I mean, they're, my understanding is the reason the Republicans are doing these walkouts is because they they just have no control whatsoever over the yeah. legislature. And the only way that they can try to rein in some mm-hmm. of the crazy stuff that's coming down the pike is to walk out. But on yeah. the other hand, like you said, that is wildly unpopular. Well, it creates and I understand a, why. a narrative that it's too easy for someone who is not really tapped into Oregon politics and doesn't really know the background and everything that's going on. It's a very easy narrative to say, my opponent is the one that convinced the other team to take their ball and go home, right? That's not something that's viewed very positively. If you have the background, you might say, well, I understand why that happened and I, I'm actually in support of it. But with no background, no context saying my candidate is the one that took the, or my, my opponent is the one who took their ball and went home. That's an easy negative narrative that paints that candidate very poorly. So you think Drazen lost or Drazen was sort of preordained to lose from the beginning because of these walkouts? I think for a number of reasons. But I yeah, mean, I, I think it was because she was pro-life. I think the I, I think the walkouts were probably the biggest thing. Do you? Okay. Yeah. That's what you and how what do you base that on? Was there polling or just um, what no you were polling. hearing? Just so I was I was involved with uh, a couple of Republican candidates, uh, most notably Brandon Merritt. And attended a number of their of his campaign events and a number of Republican events, which, you know, I already got looked at sideways because everybody knew I was I was an unaffiliated candidate and didn't like that. But even because you weren't part of the machine. Correct. And so being tapped into both the Oregon Republican side and tapped into that 
unaffiliated voter side. I and saw you're also very talked early. into the Democrats. Yeah. Because Betsy found you, mm-hmm. and that's how you got involved with Oral Oregon mm-hmm. Votes. So you really are this yeah. true sort of unaffiliated centrist guy. Yeah. I get to hear from all sides, right? And I think what the Oregon Republican Party did not realize was that they were propping a candidate that was never going to win because of that affiliation. They think that the walkouts are great. Most Oregonians <laughs> do not. Do they really? Oh, my gosh. Okay, yeah, so they don't understand. They're not tuned in mm-hmm. to... The the Oregon Republican Party is their own biggest enemy. I don't think yes, they have... Yes, they are. They have zero concept of That's strategy. That's exactly right. They have zero concept of how to actually push good candidates. And I think the perfect example of that is Lori Chavez de Rimmer, right? Her campaign that she ran, she did not run as a as a MAGA candidate. She ran as a very moderate Republican. Now, what she may or may not do in Congress, we'll see. But the style of campaign that she ran was a very, very moderate campaign. And so she won Congressional District 5. See, I my armchair psychology as a registered Democrat is that we cannibalized ourselves because we and this I'm not on the the far left mm. but I think the far left just decided hey Kurt Schrader's not uh, left enough for mm. us we need this woman from Central Oregon mm. Jamie Jamie McLeod Skinner there you go mm. we need her and um, screw Kurt Schrader mm. and in the meantime Biden is endorsing Kurt Schrader mm. you know I mean Kurt Schrader was incredibly popular incredibly he, popular well, he, he was, was up until the redistricting he was my rep and even in this rural area outside Salem that is mostly right leaning he was very popular right because he was moderate mm-hmm. and so. I think what happened with Lori Chavez Dreamer, so I'm in her district. She did not come to our neighborhood association and speak. Jamie did. Mm. And I found her unimpressive and just too left for me. Mm. But I remember thinking to myself, I still can't believe this woman is has squeezed out Kurt Schrader. What mm-hmm. is going on? And so that's a weird example of the machine kind of eating itself and working in reverse mm. and, and just kind of imploding on itself. Like Schrader is, was the most institutional candidate, right? He was the incumbent. Biden was, was doing mm. stuff like not stuff. I don't think he was stumbling for him, but he was certainly putting out mm-hmm. endorsements of him and talking about how he was helpful in the legislature. Mm-hmm. Suddenly in walks Jamie McLeod Skinner, everybody drops their drink and runs over to her because mm-hmm. she's more left mm-hmm. And she's the candidate. All of a sudden, here she is, and she's the candidate. And then your choice is her or this Chavez dreamer. Mm-hmm. And to me, I I just thought, I mean, th- this these were that was the first election where I cast two Republican votes. One was for Drazen, and the other was for her. Was mm-hmm. for Lori Chavez dreamer, just because I saw Jamie McClellan. I just didn't mm-hmm. understand what happened to Schrader, and I wanted to punish these people. Yep. And you know what? It, it worked. Uh, they were punished. Mm-hmm. They were punished for picking the far left candidate for not sticking exactly. with the centrist. And there is, as Renee Gonzalez would say, a silent majority. And when they're awake, they will mm-hmm. go to the center. Well, they will that, not do this extreme thing. That district was built for Jamie McLeod Skinner to win. And she didn't. And she didn't because they played it the wrong way. They overestimated. I, I think, at least in my opinion, what I have seen is in the legislature, we have a group of overly progressive individuals that are in the leadership positions for the Democratic Party. Hard agree. And they are, they they have not gotten outside of their echo chamber and they don't realize that, yes, Oregon is a blue state. There's no doubt of that. When I hear people on the right say that Oregon's secretly a red state, they're wrong. I it's laugh not. too. Yeah, I agree. But Oregon is a very moderate blue state. The main progressive area is Portland. And if you look at a number of those individuals who are in the leadership positions, they're from the Portland area. And they believe that Portland is Oregon. So they start pushing candidates that are overly progressive. And when you hit a point where you have people on your own team saying, hey, this moderate Republican sounds less crazy than your candidate, they will <laughs> jump and vote for that moderate yes. Republican. Yes. And that's exactly what happened with Lori. Lori ran a very moderate campaign. She didn't she didn't go full Trump crazy. She didn't go MAGA crazy. I got it. She yeah. Just, 
she she ran as herself and her background, her time as mayor, and she did a very good job, and she won a district that was built for her to lose. And she was very quiet. She mm-hmm. was not bombastic at all. And in fact, like I said, she was even too busy to meet with the Neighborhood Association, but, uh, you know, she's part of my district, and a lot of people mm-hmm. didn't seem to care. They were just like, this This McLeod Skinner is too, goes mm-hmm. too far for me. This I haven't heard a lot from this woman, but she just seems like, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, she she's not mega loud Mm -hmm. she just seems relatively normal Mm -hmm. i just want somebody normal you are not going to see at least on the i-5 corridor you are not going to see very many candidates that are you know full-on MAGA candidates getting any success at all they they may win out in eastern oregon but they're not going to be winning along the i-5 corridor because that that style of republican mindset does not appeal to those voters that are in the middle. It's too extreme. Just like the the progressive crazy that tends to come out of Portland doesn't appeal to them either. It's way too extreme. We're the craziest city in the United States. And, yeah. and people don't understand this. And most people in Oregon are not part of that crazy train. No, definitely not. And, and going back to, you know, the, the, the ORP and their lack of strategy, if they pushed a handful of candidates that were moderate, pro-life Republicans they would probably have a lot of success and they would start picking up some of these seats and we would have a legislature that is far more balanced. But when your choices are someone who's maybe moderately progressive versus full on MAGA, the moderate progressive is is going to win because they sound less crazy than that candidate. Well, or I think like I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. I think Christine Drazen on this pro-life thing, Mm -hmm. what was so interesting to me that I thought she did well, um, and and I think ultimately she screwed up the message. But she started out doing it well, which is saying, I'm personally pro-life, and I'm assuming that's for some, I don't know, if it, maybe it's just a GOP machine reason, but mm-hmm. I was assuming it was a personal religious reason. And then she went on to say, I understand that Oregon has no restrictions on abortion. A lot of people aren't civically educated mm-hmm. around here and don't understand that's a legislative issue and mm-hmm. thought that she was going to engage in some kind of... Um, Greg Abbott style takeover mm-hmm. and get rid of everybody's abortion rights. And in Oregon, that's not something, my understanding is that's not something the governor can do. And mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think there was a lot, she did a lot of education around that. She should have done that. Mm-hmm. But also, she didn't have to say, uh, I'm pro life. She, she, because what she was saying is the most pro choice thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. I'm personally pro life. That's fine. But then she went on to say, if you want to abort your baby at nine point whatever months, have at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to touch it. Mm-hmm. I never heard a Republican say that into a microphone before. Yeah. I thought that was very moderate thing to say. And she could have ran with that on as a pro-choice. There's a way to say that you're pro-choice because you're allowing mm-hmm. the state to have... You're the governor of a state that's got no restriction on abortion, and you don't have a problem with that. If she would have taken that same messaging and just twisted it and said, I'm pro-choice, here's why. It's not and here's for my me. personal beliefs. There you go. That would have gone very well, but because she led with pro-life... I yep. think that hurt her with a lot of candidates. That and the walkouts, like you mm. said, and I, I was not, I didn't, I hadn't done enough deep mm. thought about the walkouts, but I think you're right about well, that. After the walkouts, they lost three seats. They had two individuals That's, who they were punished, who declined to run again, knowing that the walkout hurt them. And you had one that lost, who I, I respect her greatly. She's someone I consider a friend, but I truly believe that Denise Bowles lost her seat in Salem because of the walkouts. God, I am so disappointed that you are not part of the legislature. <laughs> well, I, I will say the individual who, who took the seat, uh, Ed Deal, uh, he's he's very Republican. Um, he's a good guy. I'm still in the area, still working with him. We've got a, a number of things that um, we're hoping to see pushed in the short session in regards to health care specifically. You know, him and I differ on a, on a number of beliefs, but... I'm not upset with him having that seat. He's he's approachable. He's communicative, and he's someone that even though he he may have different beliefs, he's willing to have a conversation about them. And I absolutely respect that. That's really good news. I have you. You should be a political consultant. You were so <laughs> dialed in. 
anybody out there who wants advice, please hire this man as a political <laughs> consultant. And I don't know if he's going to say yes because obviously he's he's not. I don't think he. I don't for know the right that he's in the. Maybe. Okay. Okay. You heard it here first. <laughs> A lot of the people running for these positions, they're they're so set on their their own echo chamber, yes. and they don't realize. If you if you ask Christine Drazen, she was fully convinced that she was going to win, and I called very early on that I thought she was going to get the nomination, but I did not think she would win, and that's that's what happened. Now I'm not so, saying I'm some sort of Jedi soothsayer, but I think anybody who is taking the time well, to... Well, you're pretty... You're educated <laughs> enough to, 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 to do an educated prediction. Yeah. To, to Anybody who takes the time to get out of that echo chamber and look across the board, look at all sides, I think could see that she did not have a chance of winning. I, I'm so interested in your your ideas for reform. So you like... Obviously, you like open primaries. Mm-hmm. That's why we're here today. You mm-hmm. like uh, a... Simple, simplified system of ranked choice voting, mm-hmm. sounds like. Yep. Either a top four, top five using ranked choice or, or even a star system. What's a star system? Uh, very similar to ranked choice. It's just instead of numbers, you're ranking them with stars, essentially. Um, oh, I see. So you're rating them like a scale of one to five? Or uh, yeah. Yeah. It's star is a, even though people try to say they are different methods, it is just another method of ranked choice voting. Who does they that? They just kind of have their own name. I don't know who's using using stars specifically right now. I know a number of states are using ranked choice. Uh, Alaska being the, the the big one that's been in the news. Uh, that's, I know, but that's why I don't really care for it. Well, see, and I, I mean, I think it was a good thing for Alaska. They got a, a moderate Republican and a moderate Democrat. When was the last time that they had they had anybody blue in Alaska? I think we all assumed Alaska was a red place mm-hmm. that ended up with a far more left person and I guess I looked at that and thought well I'm I'm assuming that doesn't seem like a very democratic result but you're right maybe I'm wrong and maybe Alaskans are maybe they really are moderate and they worked out the way it should have I think it was the rebound effect of them having Sarah Palin fatigue fatigue well I mean we're I mean as much as I R.I.P. to John McCain, and I really liked him. He did unleash her on the world, and that's mm-hmm. somewhat unforgivable. Um, again, God rest his soul. I, everything about him I liked except that, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. You're convincing me. I mean, I think you're, you're gosh darn it, you're persuasive. Um, <laughs> so what else would you want to do? Uh, I think we absolutely, and it's it's part of uh, IP26, our our. Uh, ballot measure. Is what is IP26? So it's an initiative petition. So the way the process works is you you file for an initiative petition and you get a title from the AG's office. So right. you have this going right now. Yes. So we are actively out collecting signatures. We need about 160,000-ish. So realistically, we're probably going to shoot for the 200,000 range. Um, if we collect enough signatures, then it will be on the ballot in 2024. And How do we help you? How do we do this? Signatures. Go to the website. Uh, we have a link there that people can actually print out the sheet at home and sign it. Okay, um, so it's a lot like Betsy. A lot like Betsy. We also have uh, the option for people to go out and collect signatures themselves, and we give them all the instructions, and they can mail them into us. So with this, what would happen is it would be on the ballot in 2024, and then everybody would vote on it. Okay. But how, I mean, I, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about... Our ability are now I'm speaking because I'm I'm on board with this. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm concerned about the ability to get enough signatures by relying on people to the DIY. We are we are looking at uh, paid signature gatherers as well. That's very common, but you know that that is a pretty it's significant expensive. financial hurdle. So the other, I know the other big push we have right now is is people that are interested in donating, big donations, small donations, any donations. Okay, where do we go to do all, to do the printout and also to donate? That can all be done on the website. What is the website? AllOregonVotes. AllOregonVotes.com? Correct. And it's, so that's all when obviously no dots, no dashes, AllOregonVotes.com. Yep. Yep. We're, we're very Googleable, And then uh, you can go to any of our, our social media pages as well. And we have links to it on there. And so you're running social media. I know you're on Instagram. I know you're on Twitter because I just set all that up for myself. And where else? What? Facebook? We have all of the platforms right now. Good. Okay, great. Um, we are we we created a, a, a TikTok even we haven't we, awesome. Michael's actually working on some videos right now that we're going to get posted. We're we're looking at getting our you know our big kind of social media blast going within the next week or two here to really get the message out to people. Is that also called All Oregon Votes on TikTok? Correct. 
great. There's nothing posted on there right now, but you know our, our Instagram and our LinkedIn. Um, You're not, we have, you, you don't have anybody dancing in their living room for all Oregon votes yet? No, nope, <laughs> no. Nope. It might happen. We'll if see. If we get enough money, maybe we could do a Charlie D'Amelio video. <laughs> <laughs> So there's your there's your plug to go if you want to see that you got to go to the website and you donate a lot because uh, there's probably no restriction on what people can donate to you there it's, it's no a pack probably Correct. right so yeah okay and then how do we Derek we've got to get the word out about this we do. how did I not know about this until so I learned about you all from Vicky Payne from future former Portland party future Portland. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know this was going on. So how do we blast this out? How does every, I mean, obviously everybody tell a friend, you could actually get a candidate that you're invested in, that you care for with these open primaries. And also I think we're going to get more voter turnout and how, so we tell a friend, we get on social media, we can share social media, we can donate. What else can we do to bring more visibility to this? Do you have like, do you have signs? Do you have educational events? We're, we're working on signs and merch and events that we're trying to stand up right now. Um, those will hopefully be coming. Oh, probably probably a little bit later this year, maybe into the early spring is when we'll have a big push for a lot of those events, you know, just weather changing on us right now. Can people do like a house party for you? Is that okay? We, you know, we are completely open into whatever events people want to do. If people have events going on that they like to invite us to, um, you know, we have, uh, a few speaking events lined up. I believe, uh, I believe Michael's going out to the I think it's the the Bend City Club coming up here. What is our deadline? What's our deadline on this? So we're looking at, I believe, July of next year is going to be the deadline for turning in signatures. Oh, we have time. Oh, yeah, plenty of time. Okay, good. Okay, good. So um, the name of the game right we gotta now, start is, now is fundraising yeah. and, and gathering signatures. You know, it's it would be a little premature for us to be spending a bunch of money on events and stuff when. We're, we, you know, we no, still I have totally to collect those signatures. But we can spend money on events for you. Absolutely. Just like we're going to, we can host house parties for people like Nathan Vasquez and Mingus Maps. You can host a house party for this open primaries mm-hmm. idea and get some of these. So, so if we hosted a house party for you, could you theoretically show up with the, forms that you need for signatures and people Absolutely. can all just sign and yep. donate and whatnot? Mm-hmm. And you can do like a little educational speech to do some civic education mm-hmm. in your neighborhood with your friends, with your coworkers, absolutely, wherever people want to go. So if if somebody wants to do that and do an event for you, where do they? What do they do? Is there a form on the website? Can if, they contact you? If they hit the contact link on the website, it will it will blast out to myself, Michael, and a few others, and we will absolutely make it happen. Um, the other option is you know hit us up on any of our any of our social media outlets. You know, those those are monitored by me and Michael. So okay, so they can message you. They can they can message us through those outlets very easily. This is fantastic. So okay, so I just want to and and then as far as like rules and things go, there's no limit to how much people can donate to you. Mm-hmm. Also, if let's say I'm going to have a house party for Mingus Maps for mayor, mm-hmm. can I bring you to that as well? Um, because you're not part of like Mingus's. I mean, I know there's like lots of rules about packs and candidates, but you're you're not Mingus's mm-hmm. pack. So yeah. I can I can slide you on Correct. into that roster as well. Absolutely. And we can just do a whole bunch of civic education. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. If if you get enough signatures, what ultimately does this measure look like? Like. Okay, so we get open primaries for governor and the legislature. So what this would be, and and part of what makes this different from previous pushes, is this would actually be a constitutional amendment. It's not a statutory change. Which is hard to do, right? Correct. It would be a constitutional amendment that requires the legislature to open the primaries. What we are doing is we are leaving the method open for the legislature to kind of determine what way they want to go up, go about it, because there's lots of different ways they can do it. But this would apply to all partisan elections. Some of the local elections that are nonpartisan won't necessarily apply to, but for right, all partisan elections. Right, because those are already basically open. But see, yeah. I think, Derek, I think that will help us here in Portland, because one of my issues is we don't get a lot of voter turnout, and I think it's because people are focused on things like 
the, the national elections and they're focused on the legislative and the governor. And then when they open up their ballot and they don't see, they just kind of stop there. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't see everybody on here. And they assume that city county is probably the same way. Mm-hmm. They don't know that city county is nonpartisan, that you can vote for city county mm-hmm. no matter how you're affiliated. And I think that contributes to, that's just my opinion contributes to low voter turnout. I think that and, and you know, the incumbent advantage. So realistically, there's not as much money going into your local and county elections as there are the national elections right. or the state level elections. So the name recognition isn't quite there. So with a lot of voters, they That's see right. whoever the incumbent is and they think, well, my life's not too horrible. And they fill out that bubble without really having any context or background. You know, we, we live in a society that when it, when it comes to politics, right, we, we grew up being told you don't talk about politics or religion at the dinner table. Yeah. We need to be talking about it at the, at the dinner table and people need to be more involved. And because so many people are just kind of apathetic towards especially local politics, we end up with more of the same. And, and realistically, your local politicians and your county commissioners have far more impact on your day to day life than anyone in the legislature, anybody oh, Derek, in Congress, or the president. I have learned that the hard way. I, w- I was uh, focused on federal politics for most of my life, and unfortunately, like a lot of us, we have learned the hard way that the focus is on mayor, city council, mm-hmm. and the darn Multnomah County chair. Mm-hmm. And now we have a second Multnomah County chair that looks just like the first, and here we are. With bodies in the gutters and mm-hmm. foil and boofing kits being handed out. Well, so. what I think Multnomah County was uh, the last numbers that came out. They had they they lost the most number of people. Yeah, billion dollars yeah. last year in tax revenue. Yeah, it was something that the net population of Multnomah County. I want to say it was either like eight or eighteen thousand, something like that total. So that's people moving in and out. A net negative in Multnomah County. That that statistic alone should tell you. People are leaving for a reason. People, whatever you're doing isn't working. Well, we know. I mean, we know why. I, I, a lot of it is just they're tired of paying exorbitant taxes mm-hmm. for no value. I'm not even going to say low value, no value programs. Mm-hmm. Um, well, half of downtown Portland looks like Detroit from RoboCop. You know, it's just. It's, we, yes, it boards does. Boards on all the windows and everything. It's. You know, I've lived in Oregon long enough that I remember Portland being beautiful. Now, I've never been a big city person, but you go to downtown Portland now and it it's not beautiful. Okay, so say more about that because we're sitting downtown right now and I'm assuming, you know, you were saying that you've been, even though you were in Almsville, oh, we had a little headphone thing. Okay, you got it. Yep. Even though... Uh, you were in Almsville, you've obviously you're civically engaged and you're doing all this work throughout the state. So you've probably been here more often, mm-hmm. um, especially lately. What are you what are you seeing? Like, what did you see even just coming here today? Oh, I mean, just coming through here today, you you see that it's, it's there's there's more trash on the streets. There's there's people walking around high out of their minds screaming at traffic. I was driving through uh, the Pearl coming home from work the other day and had someone come up and start yanking on my door trying to get into my car. And you're and, not you're not a small guy. This no, per, this person obviously did not assess who they were dealing but, with. And in that's the car. not that's not a rare occurrence in Portland right now. No, it's not. It's it's wild. It's, to see the decline of Portland is disheartening. And, so you, know, you just happen to have your door locked or what? Oh, I, I mean, when I'm driving, I always have it locked. And that there's a good everybody. That's a good public safety measure for everybody listening who drives around Portland. Yeah, it, it's it. Having seen the decline of Portland, it's it's concerning to me that people will see it and vote for more of the same. And that's not even getting into some of the social aspects of partisan politics. It's just. If you've lived in Portland for 10 years or more, you can see Portland has gone downhill. So whoever has been in those seats for the past 10 years, the things that they have been doing have not been working. Stop voting for more of the same. But that gets into voters just kind of being apathetic and complacent, and they just see a name that they recognize, and okay, yeah, I'll fill out that bubble, because they're they're not overly engaged. They're not taking the time to be politically savvy or overly educated on these candidates. Yeah, I think the other, this is just speculation, but my 
speculation is we've got this billion dollars leaving from last year. Anthony Effinger talked about that in Willamette Week, a great article called They Left. And so we've got all this these taxpayers leaving, and we've got people coming in, uh, a lot of whom are homeless. Now that number's skyrocketing. Uh, drug addicts, skyrocketing. So... Um, and then, and then, of course, to the extent we've got people coming in who who are awake and can pay some taxes and, and do some voting, I think a lot of these people are coming in from other states. They don't understand our system of politics. Our system of politics here is very bizarre and Byzantine. We've got Metro, right? So we've got this third level of government: Washington, mm-hmm. Clackamas, Multnomah counties. We've got the county where the chair has all the power. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that until just, like, last election. Well, um, the metro area is three different counties. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's wild. It is wild. <laughs> yeah, it's, and they're taxing you, and they're creating crazy programs. Yeah, yeah and, it, and most people don't even know who the metro chair is or who's on metro what what is metro who's on it most people don't even know any of this let alone no. people coming in from other states i mean and these are again you've got to get your head mm-hmm. the calories required to do it well, and throw on top of that you know you've got your uh water protection districts you have your school <laughs> districts you right. know uh, it gets to a point Water where yes. you don't even know who half these people are, and, <laughs> and so people just don't care. It's it's overwhelming, and at, it's at the overwhelming. core, the core of politics, whether it be traditional politics or whether it be in business, people vote with their feet. When they're happy, yeah. they stay. When they're not happy, they leave. Right, based on the fact that Oregon is losing people, these three large counties that make up Portland are losing people. People are not happy. Whatever is being done is not working. It's time for people to do something a little bit different. And it may be small changes or it may be big changes. I think the first big change is changing the system that we utilize to vote. You know, we change that. I think we will see better candidates. We will see those candidates get a lot more exposure. And we're not going to deal with a system where, you know, it's, it's D or R, two sides of the same coin. They're both spending your money. They're both trying to do what they want to do. If people believe that one political party or another actually has their best concerns in mind, they are sorely mistaken. And so if we create a system, if we change our system to start getting better candidates, we will get better results. You're so good at this. How do people replicate what you're... I love what you're doing. How do people who have a little bit of discretionary time who feel concerned start replicating what you're doing and get that i mean obviously you've had a lot of training and you were able to sort of build up that confidence but what do you say to somebody who's part of the quote-unquote silent majority who's maybe a little afraid of what my neighbor's gonna say or wants to do a little um civic education and show people you know what they can do to maybe make portland better but they don't really know where to start and what would what's your advice you know i think a lot of it just comes down to taking the time to educate ourselves on issues and and you know that's not that's not the fun sexy side of politics i know but really taking the time to read into what really happened with measure 110 what aspects of Measure 114 are being challenged in court and what aspects are not. Actually educating ourselves on these things is extremely important and then just getting involved. And it is more difficult in Portland because you're dealing with a much larger structure. But if, if you live in a, in a smaller <laughs> town, right, if you're, if you're out in, in rural Oregon or you're just outside Salem, go to a city council meeting. Just go. Just go and sit. It's not going to be fun, but just... Absorb some of what is being said and look at the demeanor of the individuals and how they talk and how they present themselves and decide if that fits with you. That'll give you better insight to a candidate than any commercial they're going to put on. You know what else? It also gives you, and I, just by going to city council meetings here in Portland, it gives you a lot of confidence because what you ultimately see is that even some of these commissioners aren't, I mean, how could they possibly be? They got 50 people coming in asking them for millions of dollars every Mm -hmm. single day and there's money. I mean, just please, for the love of God, 
if you're at all concerned about the city, go sit through a city council meeting and watch how many millions of dollars whoosh out that door in just the mm-hmm. amount of time you're sitting there for God knows what. The only people questioning these people begging for money are Mingus Maps and Renee Gonzalez, and usually they're outvoted. So just go watch some of that. But also, a lot of these commissioners have to ask questions because they don't know a lot about what's in front of them. It's just too much. Mm-hmm. But once you have the confidence to kind of start, oh, like oh, wow, they're asking questions about this and they don't know what this is and they're getting some answers. If I ask some questions, maybe I'll get some answers if I just have the courage to ask a couple questions like Derek here did about what the heck is going on with the water bill mm-hmm. that leads him to be mayor of his city. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, going back to saying, you know, going to, to meetings and, and listening to how people interact, the, the, the spark that lit the fire for all of this was one city councilor who was dismissive and said, it's really complicated, you wouldn't understand, right? That resulted in three people getting recalled, a new mayor, almost the entire city council being replaced, right? Go to those meetings. Even if you don't have a question, just see how your elected officials interact with people. See how they treat people. I don't care if someone shows up wearing a suit and playing the role of politician, is that person authentic? When they are talking to people, are they are they being an authentic human being or are they being a politician? Use that as your first step to guide you on who you do or do not want to vote for. And are they being dismissive and condescending? Like, have conversations with some mm-hmm. of these people after the meeting. Go up and see if you can talk to them. Send them emails. Mm-hmm. See if you get a response. Yeah. If you don't get a response, that's probably not a good sign. Mm-hmm. If you if you get a form letter, probably not a great sign. Mm-hmm. Call them up. See who answers the phone. See how they treat you. Mm-hmm. See what kind of staff members they're hiring to interact with the public. Are they dismissive of you? Probably not a good sign. If, if an elected official is only utilizing their staff to really engage with people, <laughs> that's You just concerning. described the city of Portland with the exception, you know, basically, it, of Mingus Maps. Um, Almsville is, is definitely not Portland. But one of the first things I did after I got elected, we have our little Saturday markets. At every Saturday market, there was a booth that had one of the electeds, either myself or someone from city council, and someone from the senior staff for the city, right? Finance director, chief of police city administrator, director of public works. And we would just sit there all day. Just sit there. So you made your you made it a point to make mm-hmm. yourself accessible to people. To, to be there, to answer questions, to, your constituents. to interact with people, right? Yes, it's a lot easier to do in a town of 4,000 people, but look at you, those individuals in those elected roles. Are they interacting with the people that they're supposed to represent? Are they authentic with those people? Do they talk to those people and engage with those people? Or are they dismissive and they have their staff handle all that because they they don't want to be, you know, inconvenienced by the peasants? Well, and also, I just want to be, and again, I, I don't know what the data is on this, but I know from my experiences, uh, safety chair of the Neighborhood Association, when I email council and the mayor in Portland, And when I encourage other people to do it, people are very reluctant to do it. They don't want to take the time to send an email. They can't even muster a few words. So my guess is they're actually not getting as many emails as they may want you to believe. And I know a lot of these staffers. And another thing I can tell you is they know the difference between a constituent and, say, somebody who is like schizophrenic who's who's emailing them constantly and Mm -hmm. and off of medication and there's there's nothing wrong with being schizophrenic but we've got a lot of you know as most people know we are one of the most mentally ill cities and certainly states in the country Mm -hmm. and we cannot get a handle on that so you know they've they've got a lot of those but they know how to weed those out and the idea that they are just so inundated with regular constituents emailing them i think is ridiculous i don't think they're getting a lot of emails from regular constituents and I, and they have a staff for a reason and i think that we need to start putting more pressure on these people and demanding answers ask for a meeting with them ask for a meeting with somebody who's part of their staff and if you don't get a response call and leave messages the squeaky wheel will get the grease if you don't there is a way to do it without sounding crazy and most of us can do that and it's I know it takes a lot of extra calories, but if you care, if, if you're here like I am with 
you know, all of the homeless people and the drug addicts and those of us who are still just trying to like run a business. If you're one of those people and you're looking around thinking, I don't really like how this looks and you have a five minutes, send a couple emails, make some phone calls. And then the next week when you have five minutes, just keep doing it. And eventually somebody will get back to you. And that's very revealing. The person who ends up getting back to you, like it's really revealing who's responsive. That tells you maybe who, um, and they may not say, you know, exactly what you want them to say, but it does tell you who's listening and who's Mm -hmm. tuning you out. Uh, the, the percentage of people that actually take the time to send an email to begin with exactly is very very low, and that's why it's troubling to me. They that, can make that, time to respond exactly, and especially at the county where those people are invisible. Most mm-hmm. people don't even understand the county or how it works. I'm sorry, there is no way that people at the county get are inundated with so much email that they they and their staff mm-hmm. they, they're spending like four billion of your dollars a year there's no way that they can't take five minutes to respond to a specific concern that you might have mm-hmm. um so anyway please get involved before you uh take off or if you're like me and you're just stuck here then um, I'm not saying that you need to be as involved as I am, but I am saying it's very difficult after a while to hear people say things like, thanks for what you're doing. I really wish I could do things like that. And it's like, come on. I mean, if you're stuck here like I am, you've got you, you've got five minutes. You're sitting at like a soccer game and it's halftime and you know, you, you've got your seventh grader staring out into space. You can take five minutes and email a city councilor. Yeah. About being involved, whether it's just being involved civically in general or they want to get involved in all organ votes, that would be the way to go about it. If if you just show up at a meeting, you might learn so much that you, I mean, I'm not saying you, you end up being mayor, but you can certainly end up on this path that maybe, I don't know, you probably didn't envision yourself as the mayor of Almsville when you were in Afghanistan. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but, you know, I tell people all the time, if, if uh, you know, a, a, a big meathead tattooed redneck like myself can get involved and, and become mayor, I think just about anybody can do it. What's funny is you, I mean, you describe yourself that way, but you're definitely not, I would, I would describe you as very mo- moderate. You're definitely not a redneck. Um, I really appreciate you coming in today. Is there anything else we should know before we sign off? No, I mean, like my whole thing is, is all organ votes and I hope people want to get on board. And, uh, you know, if you have any listeners that also have media outlets or whatever, we're looking for everything we can do right now to get the word out. Yeah. So that's really important. So if you can think of, if you've got a connection to anybody within uh, television broadcasting, within um, radio, within heck, within um, like a, a popular YouTube or something, please reach out to them. If you've got a connection to the Oregonian, Willamette Week, et cetera, please reach out to them and ask them to do a story on this because they need these signatures if we're going to change this system. It's really important. And like Derek said, they also need some money. So th- can, please consider donating if you want to change. This is this would be a big change. If you don't like what the legislature is doing, this is a way to help fix that. I think this would probably be the biggest change with the most immediate result that we could possibly see in Oregon's political climate. And I don't know anybody who's happy with Oregon's political climate. So that's saying a lot. Thanks for coming in, Derek. Thanks for having me.